So we're at a Thai jail and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. (laughs) I thought I was going to disappear forever. So it's just like seared in my mind. And then he was like, it's not a big deal. They probably just think you're Russian prostitutes. And I was like, Chris, what is happening? Like, get us out of the situation. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 418. Like most airports, the airport in Genoa, Italy limits its liquids to only three ounces, but it's made a special exception for pesto sauce, which is a Genoa specialty. You may keep any amount of pesto sauce on the plane with you if you make a donation to charity and you send it through a specially designed pesto scanner. Mmm, pesto. I've eaten so much I've got sick off it once though. I'm super excited to have Chase as the sponsor of today's show because if you've been following us for any length of time, you know that Chase has been my favorite credit card company ever since I started learning how to use travel rewards points way back in 2011. The Chase card that I've recommended for beginners just getting started has been the Chase Sapphire Preferred card. It's been that way for years and it's still my favorite card for beginners. The best part about the Chase Sapphire Preferred card is that it earns you Chase Ultimate Rewards points, which you can transfer to a host of great partners like United, Southwest, and Hyatt, or you can use directly through Chase Ultimate Rewards and book any flight, hotel, or car rental with no blackout dates. It's an absolute no-brainer. If you're looking to get started in earning travel rewards points, the Chase Sapphire Preferred is the card you need to get. To check out more information on all the great perks of the Sapphire Preferred Card, plus the other great offerings from Chase, you can go to creditcards.com slash epop and see all of my favorites. To be totally transparent, we do receive compensation from Chase as a sponsor, but all these opinions are my opinions only, and you know I'd only ever recommend something that I absolutely love and use myself, like Chase. So head on over to creditcards.com slash epop and see all of my favorites. There are a lot of industries that are hit really, really hard by the coronavirus, and the travel industry is no exception. And one of the things that we are trying to do during this time is help support as many small travel companies as possible. We ourselves are a very small travel company, and we want to help support the companies that we love so that when this is over, they can still be there on the other side. They can still be making awesome travel products as well. And one of those travel companies that we have stood behind for years and years and years and has stood behind us is Tortuga backpacks. That's the only backpack I've used on any of my trips over the last five years. So if you are someone right now who is looking and thinking about travel in the future, and you might want to get a travel backpack, one of the best things you can do is buy now, help support them during these lean times for Tortuga backpacks. You can do that, and you can also still get 10% off anything you order by going to tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. So you have to go to tortugabackpacks.com, and then really important, put in slash epop. That'll get you 10% off anything you order. And if you can help support some of these small travel companies during this time, and you have the funds to do that, uh, I know it's much appreciated from them, and we're just trying to get the word out as much as possible. So thank you, guys. And don't forget, if you do want to pick up a travel backpack, the one that I love, tortugabackpacks.com dot com slash epop. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who moved to Italy on the advice of a stranger on the internet who can see France from her bedroom window, even though she lives in England, and who got Italian citizenship in two months, Sarah Mikutel from postcardacademy.co, the Postcard Academy podcast and podcasting step-by-step podcast. A lot of podcasts in there. Sarah, thanks for joining me today and a huge welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for that lovely intro. 
And Italian citizenship, I think we have to start with this, because when I first heard your story, I was like, all right, this is this is cool. This is unique. This is great. But why did you want this in the first place? Like, why did you jump through these hoops that we're going to talk about in a little bit to get Italian citizenship? Because you're you're from the U.S., correct? Yes, yes, I'm an American. Okay, so what was it? What was the idea behind this? And why were you saying, like, I need to do this? Yeah. Well, I guess I started to become obsessed with travel when I was 18. Um, It was after my first year of college and I spent the summer in England working at a hotel, just working my butt off, uh, doing the hardest work I've ever done, like scrubbing bathtubs and serving breakfast really early and then just cleaning the whole hotel. And so it was grueling. And I think all teenagers should have to go through this as like a humbling experience. But despite this, I really fell in love with England. I would just spend my days off wandering like the English countryside. I went to Scotland. I saw London for the first time. And so I really fell in love with the country and decided to study abroad that my junior year. So I went to London and the whole city was our classroom. So history class was walking tours and our art class took place in museums. And I just thought, wow, like, this place is amazing. I want to live here, you know, and weekends and spring break would be traveling to another country. But as an American, I couldn't figure out an easy way to come back and live in Europe. So after I graduated, I just thought, all right, I guess I'm going to go to work and be an adult. (laughs) And so many, many years passed before I realized, oh, I might be eligible for Italian citizenship because of my heritage. So I started to look into this and um, started gathering all the documents. So it's my great grandparents that came over to America. And so I started gathering like birth certificates, death certificates, marriage, like this whole rigmarole. And you have to get English um, certificates translated into Italian. So I met this Italian not Italian translator, I met this translator who could translate my all the documents. And she said, you know, if you try to apply for Italian citizenship in America, this could take years, you know, it could take forever, they might just reject you, you know, out of hand. I went to Italy and had my passport in a month. And I thought, whoa, really? And so sounds like a pretty sweet deal, get to go to Italy and get the thing that you want. That's all right. Exactly, exactly. So I was living in New York at the time and I thought, well, I don't want to wait like potentially a year to have them say no. I think I'm going to move to Italy and and try to do what she did. And so I did. (laughs) And so packed up everything in New York, bought a one-way ticket to Italy, set up shop there, and I had my passport in like two months. It was amazing. I guess we're going through your head like, hey, what's the worst that can happen. Like I moved to Italy and and this doesn't pan out that I get citizenship as easy as as this other person who told me. Then I were you planning on just coming back like when the three months was up and you had to leave Europe and stuff like that? Yeah, I just decided I think I'm gonna try it. And I had done sort of like some taster um Italy experiences before I realized I was eligible for Italian citizenship. So when I was in grad school I spent a summer in Siena and um, like two years before I tried the whole citizenship thing, I spent two months in Rome just doing like a language class and hanging out with people. And so I, w- I knew I would be comfortable in Italy. And yeah, so exactly. What's the worst that can happen? They reject me. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I just went for it. And so for you, the idea behind getting citizenship was just that you wanted to be able to live in Europe a lot easier than if you were an American and had to either find work visa or, you know, get sponsored some other way or bounce back and forth between, you know, Schengen and and all that kind of mess. You were just said, hey, if I get citizenship, I'm good to go. I can do whatever I want whenever I want. Exactly. It was the freedom that I was after. And then also, you know, when I was uh, at university, I did not study another language. And I think probably the day I graduated, I was like, oh, I regret that so much. (laughs) you know. And so I decided that um, 
I wanted to learn Italian. So this was, you know, again, way before any sort of citizenship uh, happened, I decided I wanted to spend some time in Italy. So that was like when the whole grad school thing happened. And um, sorry, I'm losing the train of thought of your question, Travis. But well, yeah, just, I mean, it was... Yeah, you just were like, I want to be in Europe. I, I don't, yeah, and, and of course, Italy too. Was the thought though, because you said, hey, I loved England. I loved being there. Did you think that you would go to Italy, get citizenship, because that's how you could get citizenship in a in a European country, and then move to England? Or were you just unsure? Were you like, well, if I'm here, I can be in Italy, I can be in England, I could be in Germany. It's I'm going to yeah, get to yeah. make the call. Yeah, the former, the former. So the England was always my end goal. But I guess I don't want it to sound like I'm just using Italy because <laughs> I do love Italy very much. And okay, I guess... This is what, where, where I was going to at that point. You know, after college, I realized, oh, you know, this world is so big. I want to learn another language. And so I started spending more time in Italy, getting in touch with, you know, my heritage and all that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely for, with the citizenship thing, England was my end goal. But I go back to Italy all the time. So how did you first even become aware of the idea that because your heritage was from Italy, and, and I think specifically Sicilian, if I'm not mistaken, how did you even know that this was a possibility of a thing? Was it just research on the internet? Was it kind of passed down to you from someone that you met? I, I'm just trying to figure out how maybe other people can find out about, I, I don't want to call it a loophole, but ways to get citizenship that they would have no idea about normally. It, you know, it doesn't come up in dinner conversation usually. Yeah, I think I, I had heard that it was possible um, earlier, but I had thought, oh, surely it has to be your parents or your grandparents. Like, I didn't think it would could go back to your great grandparents. And I think it was just like a random Google search. I can't even remember what I was looking for. And then I started to go down some sort of rabbit hole and I saw somebody else who had got an Italian citizenship. And I think it, maybe it was his great grandparents or something like that. And I thought, oh, whoa. I didn't know that this was possible. And um, so that's when I started to dig in. So it was completely random. What is the rule for Italy? Like how far can you go back in your lineage? I think that you can go back. Um, I don't think there's a specific rule for how far you can go back, but there is a weird arbitrary quirk. So if you're, I'll give you my story as an example. So my great grandparents went over, but they didn't become U.S. citizens until after their kids were born. And that meant in Italy's eyes, all the way down the line, we're all considered Italian citizens in a sense in Italy's eyes. However, if they had become citizens before their kids were born, then that would have made all of us ineligible because back then you had to give up your citizenship. Okay, so if someone else is looking to do this, for Italy specific, and then we'll talk maybe about some other uh, countries that that maybe there's some stuff here. If someone's looking to do this and like, all right, this is cool. I've listened to, you know, seven minutes of Sarah here and I'm ready to I'm ready to do it. Like I'm I'll go to Italy. That's cool. I'll get it done. What should they consider? Like what do they need to know? What are the regulations? So you can also apply in the US and that'll it takes longer, but you can still do it. And I think most people probably would apply that way. And the big thing that they need is proof of what I just said that so there'll be a naturalization certificate and the dates have to match up proving that they didn't naturalize until after uh, they had kids. So you'll need that naturalization certificate, but then you're also going to need uh, the certificates for your ancestors. So marriage, birth, death, all of that. How hard was that for you to get? Because you said you started doing it in the U.S. Was that difficult to obtain? Was that just going to various family members and saying, hey, how do you have this paper and making photocopies? I would say that the most challenging part of all of this is when our ancestors came over through Ellis Island, people didn't care about spellings back then. And so Giovanni might have one eye here, 
but then he got married and had two eyes here. And all of these certificates had very slightly uh, variations on spellings of names, which you think that wouldn't be a big deal. Like, okay, obviously this Giovanni is this Giovanni, but no. So you had to like go to court and get these like little apostilles saying, yes, this Giovanni is this Giovanni. <laughs> and um, so that's what was time consuming. And, you know, I was living in New York. And so the New York consulate, it was is, has a reputation for being very, very strict on this kind of stuff. However, in Italy, when I applied over there, they did not care about spellings. Um, it just didn't make any difference to them. In fact, I think I needed much less paperwork. It was more what I was saying, like that naturalization certificate and then proof of of my lineage. So it was, it was much easier, like shockingly, because Italy's famous for its bureaucracy. <laughs> but right. becoming a citizen was much easier doing it over there. And I, so that... Requ- okay. I, I was going to say that seems... In one, on one hand, like that makes sense. Okay, you're in Italy, so th- they're not worried as much because you're you're kind of there, right? It's like this: the buck stops here, and they're the ones who can make the decision. But also, yes, bureaucratic or bureaucratic stuff, and uh, you know, all over Europe, Italy as well. My sister lived in Spain, similar type, you know, mindset where everything just takes forever. Usually, usually takes forever to get stuff done. Yeah. yeah. But you're saying, hey, citizenship for for you was. Yeah, a snap at that point. Yeah. Well, and the town I was living was amazing. And they're probably going to get sick of me talking about this because I've mentioned it a few times. And now I'm having people come to me and saying, oh, my God, I'm going to go there because now they're hearing me talk about it. But I'll just say it anyway. It's um the town called Reggio Emilia, which is in Emilia Romagna. And it is a really beautiful Italian um town they've got like a gorgeous historical center like i went over there got my passport in two months as i said and i could have just gone to england then but i fell so in love with this place that i decided to i stayed for like 10 months until i ran out of money essentially and then i had to move to england to start working again but uh it was gorgeous and the town was super efficient and really helpful and so it was just a a great experience how did you decide to start there? Like, how did you pick that town to go to? Because that is the town that uh, the lady who was translating my documents, she went there okay. and and told me that it was really efficient. And so that's why I went there. So I was the second person because when I went there, they told me, like, you're the second person to do this. And, and so like, now, okay, and I know the first, and now it's like, yeah. now it's your lineage, right? Now it's like, you're the main spur, and there's always people coming off of your, off of your advice. Yeah, so now they know that, um, they know the rules and that it can be done and, and stuff like that. I'm sure for the first person, they were like, what? I guess. And now, uh, yeah, so now they know. Awesome. What did it cost for you to, to go through the whole process? Hmm, I don't think it costs that much. I had to but pay for like a visa um, to stay, like a permission to stay and, you know, cost of living, I guess, because you have to be a resident there. So that's like one of the things, um, you know, if you want to apply for Italian citizenship in Italy, you can't just stay at a hotel. You have to become a resident there. So it was quite challenging actually to find, this was back in 2010 and I feel like the internet didn't have a ton of site um, in Italy. I don't know. They were just like a little bit behind, especially when it comes to like finding rooms and apartments and stuff like that. And so my mom was actually with me at the time. She came over for a bit and we stayed in a hotel in Bologna and we're looking for an apartment for me and Reggio Emilia and I couldn't find anything. And I was like literally going, just walking around everywhere, (laughs) you know, asking people like I couldn't find anything. And then I did a meetup with somebody that I met online. There was like an English speakers group for that region of Italy. And one of the girls there, her name was Christina, uh, wanted to meet up. And I said, sure, that's great. Let's have like a walk and talk and like chat. And I was like, I can't find a place to live. What should I do? And so she walked with me to the university. We looked for signs. And then finally we went into a cafe and she just asked the barman and he said, well, I 
I don't have any apartments, but that guy sitting right over there, he rents rooms. So then we went over and talked to him and he's like, yeah, there's a Greek girl and she's leaving tomorrow so you can move in here. And I was like, all right. And so <laughs> that's how I found uh, my place to stay. So where, where there's a will, there's a way. So those were just some of the challenges. Yeah. And, and nowadays, obviously, with Airbnb and, and VRBO, just like any number of places that rent out not just hotel rooms, but rooms and or houses or apartments. Definitely that part, even though you probably wouldn't want to do it any other way now, like because you had that experience. Like, yeah, I just found a dude at a cafe who rented me a room. Like, that's a great story. Nowadays, though, if someone was coming over, probably that part would be certainly much easier because you just, yeah, you can just pick an apartment and kind of get an address there and, and go for it. So it took you two months to do it. Do you think that would be somewhat standard? Like, should someone expect it to fall somewhere around that time frame if they were like, yeah, I want to go to Italy and do this? Like, I've got time. I can do it. I want to get my citizenship. Have you heard of anyone doing it since that either has come from you or that you know of that's taken any like significant amount of time longer or shorter? I would give it at least three months, but I think I could have done it in one month, to be honest with you. And I'll tell you why it took two months. So you find an apartment, like you set up residency, and then somebody is supposed to like come and talk to you about, uh, you know, I guess why you want to apply for citizenship, what you're doing there. You know, it's just like a sort of informal meeting to like prove who you are and all that type of stuff. Um, and... So anyway, so I knew this meeting was supposed to be coming up and somebody was going to call me about it. But then two of my friends from the States came over. And so we went on a little bit of a trip. We went to Florence and Cinque Terre and it was just amazing. Um, but at the time, my Italian wasn't that great. And I was kind of like afraid to talk on the phone. And so <laughs> I had a few calls come through and I kind of forgot about this appointment with this guy. And then at one point, my friends and I were trying to find a place to stay in Cinque Terre. And so I called someone and was expecting a call back. And so when the phone rang, I picked it up and it was the guy who was going to interview me. And he was like, where have you been? I've been trying to make an appointment with you for like a month. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so really the only reason that I picked up the phone was because I thought it was like a hotel at the time. So anyway, we set up the appointment. He came over it was a nice conversation. I was like so nervous about it, but it was a nice conversation. And, you know, if I had picked up the phone earlier, I probably could have had my passport in a month. <laughs> Interesting. Now, is that conversation like, does someone have to speak Italian if they're going to be applying for Italian citizenship in Italy? Or could you do it in English? He didn't speak English, so we were fumbling around, but I think he found it charming that this American was like there and excited about Italian heritage and wanting to be an Italian citizen. So I think when you're Italian blood, you know, it, I guess it depends on where you go, but it's kind of like, welcome back to the family. Like, In, <laughs> they, <okay. you> know, <laughs> he, so, he so you think was, you could get away with not speaking any Italian, like maybe you would tell them that when you went to apply, like, hey, I, I don't speak Italian or my Italian's really, really bad. And maybe they'd send someone who spoke English and you could do it like that. I'm sure you could. I mean, like legally, it doesn't matter. You don't have to speak Italian. Um, I think it's definitely nice to learn. Like it's something that you should learn if you because it's such a powerful thing that they're giving you. Right. Uh uh, my Italian passport means everything to me because it's completely changed my life and has allowed me to live in Europe for the last nine years. And so I feel like I owe it to at least like learn and know Italian. But yeah, it's not a requirement at all. So yes, like I'm just as you're say, saying all these logical things, Travis, <laughs> like I probably made my life much harder for myself at certain times, like well, the whole you, apartment. <laughs> you also don't know until you do it. Like now I can ask you and get an answer because you've done it. But when yeah. you go over yeah. only knowing one person who's done it and it's kind of, you know, like this person who translated, she gave you a little bit of advice. Of course, nine years ago, everything was harder because you couldn't just go on like various message boards. Not like there was tons of Facebook groups and stuff like that. So I, I assume that things have only gotten easier with the amount of information yeah. that's out there about it. 
Which, yeah, and which I is had nice. like no smartphone or anything. Just to be clear, it was just like a little flip phone, so I'm not seeing like who's calling. I don't know what numbers these things are, and um, and yeah, I didn't know how long I was going to be there, and so I didn't want to spend all of my money on some fancy apartment by myself, you know. So that's why I was like looking just to rent a room with other people because, yeah, I mean. I was had only bought a one-way ticket, and so <laughs> I wanted to like save my money for as mu- as much time as I could, but also enjoy Italy. So yeah, I didn't want to be spending like two grand on a flat that I didn't need. Can they deny you over that? Like you said in the U.S., they could say, "Hey, you know, you could waste all that time or spend all that time a year or a year and a half," and then they could say no. But if you're in Italy and you are able to prove this this right of citizenship, this, uh, what'd you call it? Like by blood or something like that. And you can say, Hey, like, you know what you have to prove. You have the documents. Can they, like, could they deny you and just say, well, we don't, we don't want to give it to you because we don't feel like, I don't know, you're going to be a good citizen or, or you're like, is there, or, or can they say like, there's no, nothing for them to stand on, I guess. It's just, you just get it. If you can prove this stuff, you know, I have no idea because I think sometimes people make arbitrary decisions based on whims. So they probably they could have rejected me possibly, but then I could have challenged it, I think. You know, I'm going through the same thing with Brexit over here right now in the UK. Like when it's just so confusing and so people EU citizens like myself are applying for permanent residency. So traditionally, the rule was you didn't need to apply. If you were here for five years, you were automatically a permanent resident. But now if you want to get some sort of like card to prove it, you have to apply. And um, but I think who they're saying yes and no to is just depending on the attitude of the person in the office that day. And so it's just, unfortunately, I think that's the way things work a lot of the time. Yeah, just these these gray areas that you're doing something that not a lot of people are doing. And so it's open to interpretation, even if it's not supposed to be open to interpretation. It just depends on, on who you get. Now, do you know some other countries that have this type of citizenship path that like other and specifically I think I'm asking about European countries because my my guess and my thought and maybe you would know better based on people you've talked to would be that a lot of Americans if they're looking to get other citizenship would be hey we want to get your like European citizenship or citizenship in a European country because it does allow them to do stuff similar to you where you don't have to leave every three months and get out of the Schengen zone and you can live there and you can work there very easily without having to get sponsored. Do you know of other things that people could look into? Well, as far as um, like blood rights and things like that, uh, Ireland is another one that's an easier country. I think not as easy as Italy, because I don't think you can go back as far, but definitely Ireland is one that I hear. And then um, just as far as like living in other countries, um, I think it's, I don't know if you want to go into like work um, sure. Or let's just talk. Okay. Yeah, let's just talk about any of the any of the options, and then people can obviously do further research if one piques their interest or if they think they might qualify. Yeah, yeah. So I think if you want to just move abroad and test it out um, before trying to find any sort of jobs, there's like a bunch of different ways to do that. And I've talked to so many uh, interesting people on my podcast about the different things that we're they're doing. So, you know, house sitting um, is one. Have you and Heather ever done house sitting? Yeah, we have not. Actually, have we done it internationally? We haven't. I don't think we've done it internationally but we have done it quite a bit in the US and I always like I love opening the emails the house sitting emails that come in and it just uh-huh. it spurs even more wanderlust I'm like oh look at this nice little farm over in you know the south of France or hey there's a place in Sri Lanka so um very in tune with what is available but I, yeah we haven't as far as I know used the house sitting website to house sit 
internationally unless I'm forgetting something, which is totally yeah. feasible. <laughs> there's so many options out there. So, you know, there's the House Carriers website and Nomador has um, is a great resource. And then I was in Sarajevo uh, last summer and met this couple. They were so cool. And they've been traveling the world for two years doing um, work exchanges. So they find them through workaway.info. But basically, like, she's Brazilian, he's American. They had planned to live together in America, but then the states denied her a visa. And so they were like, well, I guess let's just travel the world together. <laughs> and so they've been doing workaways, uh, work exchanges the whole time, um, primarily in Europe. And then, um, you know, there's also study abroad, which is like something that I did. There's volunteering abroad, which, you know, as I'm sure your listeners know, you have to be quite careful with that. So it's not volunteerism and you're not damaging the communities that you go to. But um, grassrootsvolunteering.org is a really good site for reputable um, volunteer programs. And then I've talked to people who are thinking about retiring to <laughs> another country. So I think retirees and freelancers, um, it's much easier for them to live in another country because you're not going to be like competing with the locals for for jobs yeah that's interesting let's talk about that for a second freelancing i i know there's a lot of people out there especially listening to the show who either want to be freelancers or are freelancers which gives them the ability to travel which is great but some of them would like to then not have to leave again that that schengen zone every three months and have you found a way other than kind of the ones that we just talked about, if you are a freelancer to spend more time in Europe to get around the idea that, hey, you can only be here for three months out of every six and then you have to leave? Yeah, I think in Europe, um, it's quite friendly to entrepreneurs. So, you know, if you're interested in perhaps living in the Netherlands, then American entrepreneurs can take advantage of the Dutch-American Friendship Treaty. And so this is for Americans who want to live and work in the Netherlands as freelancers, and they can get a special visa and tax benefits. Um, so I know somebody who did that. France has a long-term residency visa for entrepreneurs. Um, Albania is quite friendly to Americans, and so they can stay an entire year on a tourist visa and then just do their freelance work and you know have their clients be in other places. Um Singapore, um, I guess going off of Europe, but Singapore is a great place to advance your career if you want some international experience. Uh, there's tons of global companies. Um, so even if you didn't want to freelance, like if you wanted to just go over to Asia for a while, chances are you could find a global company that uh, could help you get a more permanent gig. And uh, also Estonia uh, I was going to ask just, you about this because there's an e-visa, which I think has popped up t in the last two years. And I've done like a tiny bit of research, but always forget exactly what it involves. But it's it's kind of a it's kind of cool, I think. Right. I find Estonia to be one of the most fascinating countries out there. So former communist country that, um, you know, when that collapsed in the early 90s, they said, you know what, we can completely start over from scratch. And so they just made themselves the most digital nation on earth. And yeah, people can become e-residents of uh, Estonia. And that doesn't mean if you become an e-resident of Estonia, that doesn't mean you have like citizenship rights to like live in Estonia. However, they're also very friendly to entrepreneurs. And so if you want to go over there and work on your startup, then that is something that uh, is, is really feasible. Um, and there's a website created by Estonians called Jabatical. I'll spell this J-O-B-B-A-T-I-C-A-L. And that is a really great website because it's global job openings. Um, but these companies really want to work with foreign talent. And so they're going to help you move abroad. And, uh, you know, you can find international jobs on like LinkedIn and things like that too. But Jabatical is, um, I think, really great because they're interested in getting that international, international talent. 
Um, if and I'm th- not mistaken, you have a podcast on the Estonia e-visa, right? As I was scrolling through, there's an episode yes, about yes. that? Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. if people want to know more about that, we'll link it in the show notes and, and you can find it there. But that is something that I've been wanting to unpack for a, a little while now, like fully unpack, because I've I've read articles of this guy went and got his Estonia e-visa in 20 days. I'm like, or, you know, 10 days, whatever. I'm thinking, all right, well, what what is it? What does it entail? Is it worth it? Does it does it give me any benefits? Like, is it worth doing? Even if it's easy, if it doesn't give me any benefits, then, then who cares, right? Other than just the story behind it, which I might do just for a podcast episode anyway. But okay, so if they want to know more about it and, and maybe who should do it, that they can go listen to that podcast. Yeah. And it's really good for digital nomads um, because you set up your e-residency and then you can apply to like create your company in Estonia sort of remotely. But then if you're moving country to country, you're not going to have to set up a business in every country that you go to or figure out different regulations. You can just have it be based in Estonia. Um, And then if you're interested in actually working in Estonia, there's a website called Work in Estonia. And there's a lot of job openings, um, job postings. It's all in English. And yeah, I'm so interested in Estonia. I think I would. I think I would do some time over there myself, to be honest with you. Does an e visa? And I know people can listen to podcasts, but let's dive <laughs> for a second. Does an e visa in Estonia give you any type of ability to stay in Europe longer? First, I don't even know if Estonia is part of Schengen and EU, uh, so I don't it's know. Part if, okay, it's part of the EU. Okay, part of the EU. Part of the EU. So I assume it's probably part of Schengen at that point. Um, but then does it help? Like if you have an Estonia e-visa, could you go to Europe and bump around for longer than three months or, do you, or does it not really help with, with that type of thing? It doesn't really help with that type of thing if you're not an EU citizen. However, um, just going back to what we were saying about freelancers, they are more open to freelancers. So you could get a, a visa that way and go work on Okay. Go work in your business over there. Gotcha. All right. So there are a lot of options out there, basically, yeah. is what we're saying. Not all are perfect for everyone. And and certainly there's some work that has to be done, like you had to do some work to get your Italian citizenship. But let's look at, all right, why you wanted to do it was because you wanted to be in the in the UK and you, and you loved um, Europe in general and Italy and the UK specifically. How is it nine years later? Because you mentioned that this this changed your life. What are the benefits for you of living in Europe? And and I know now we have Brexit, so let's that's going to add a whole wrench to things. But living in Europe, living in the UK instead of living in the US, is it everything that you thought it would be? Let's talk through kind of like a checklist of what the benefits are and maybe also what some of the cons are as well. Well, I guess the number one benefit is something that I wasn't even expecting, but I think the work-life balance over here in Europe is so much better than it is in the States. And I didn't even realize how bad it was in the U S until I moved over here. (laughs) And, um, you know, when I lived in the States, I was living and working in New York and eating lunch at my desk every day and never taking a break and coming in when I was sick and never really taking vacations. You know, I would take like what I could in like the handful of days that I had, but um, not having that time to rest and recharge. And that was just like normal life. (laughs) I wouldn't even say that I was like unhappy, but that's just like the way it was. And I remember being in the office in New York and I think we had to call London for something and it was a bank holiday and they weren't there. And we were like, oh my gosh, like they're never at work. They're always on vacation. Like what? they don't have their priorities right. <laughs> like what's wrong with these guys? And then when I came over here, I was like, oh, the Europeans actually have their priorities right. And they're enjoying their life and taking time to breathe and going out and, you know, having a life essentially. And, um, so I think that's something that's just really struck me and I think is one of the biggest benefits. And I would say it wasn't like an immediate thing. Like I still have workaholic tendencies and I think it's only now 
something that I'm starting to get over and prioritize my life in a different way. But, you know, as soon as I got here, I started to respect the culture, but it's been hard to actually implement it in my own life because of the way that I had started my career, I guess. Um, But then also, I love traveling. I love history. And so just being over here and having such easy access to different countries, and it's so cheap to get around, you know, it's just so easy. Uh, So those are definitely uh, the huge benefits. And then I would say something that's tough is, uh, you know, I am close to my friends and family back home. And so I can't imagine living the rest of my life so far away from them. Uh, But at the same time, like, I can't, I don't know when the right time to like, go back to the States would be, I just can't imagine that day arriving. So it's something that I really wrestle with and something that I, a lot of expats that I know wrestle with, like we're happy where we are and we're enjoying our lives, but like, I want to be closer to my mom one day, you know, I want it to be easy for me to just like go over to my parents' house. And so it's tough. It's tough. And I have to say, uh, Travis, that you and like your whole location, independent lifestyle has really inspired me over the last year or so. And so even though like, I really love being an expat and I want to be one, you know, possibly forever, location independence is something that has interested me more and more. And this year I've been like putting some steps in place to have a location independent life. So I could live here for like six months and then go to the States for six months or something like that. Yeah. It essentially gives you the freedom to, to have your cake and eat it too. Right. Not yeah. always. And it's not always perfect as, as people listen to this podcast. know it's, it's not like, Oh, well every single day I wake up and oh, I want to be at the beach. So I'm going to the beach, you know, like yeah. th- there's yeah. concessions that you make, but it's certainly as a whole allows you to do exactly what you were talking about. Hey, I want to be away and, and I want to have a life in a country or an area that that I love. For you, it's the UK, and and the work life balance is great, and you know you're a hop, skip, and a jump from uh, amazing things, and that's one of the definitely the biggest benefits I would see of living in Europe is that yeah, in the states we have a lot of cool stuff, and there's so many things to visit, but it's a, it's a different animal when you're in Europe because of the fact that it's, it is different countries with different languages with different histories and you can go see it. You can hop on a train for a weekend and go see it. Or you can hop on a Ryanair flight for 20 bucks and, and be in a totally different atmosphere. And so I, I, I think it's pretty neat, the idea of location independence, because you could do that. You could expat for six months, five months, 10 months, whatever, but then say, yeah, during the few months that I don't really want to be in the UK, I could go and, and, and be around family and, and have the best of both worlds there. So you currently, and, and from the beginning, you know, for these nine years, have worked for a company in the UK, like at a at a regular job or quote unquote regular job. Well, kind of. So when I first moved here, you know, I had expected to get a permanent job somewhere because that's what I had always done. But as I was meeting with all of these different recruiters, they were all saying, well, you're brand new to this country. And so you're going to have to prove yourself. And the best way to do that is through contract work. And so at first I was a little bit resistant, like contract work, like I have all of this experience. Like, well, I don't get it. I came from New York and um, (laughs) throwing that in there to every conversation. You realize I came from New York, right? Don't you know who I am? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But like, yeah, I was like, whoa, I have all this experience. And they just want me to start doing these temp jobs. Um, But it ended up just being such a blessing because I started doing these contracts that could go from like three months to like two years. And uh, but I think my typical ones were like nine months. But you just work these contract jobs and they pay better than the permanent jobs. And then you can take like a few months off and go traveling and do it, do whatever you want. So that's what I did. So that's what I've been doing this whole time. So it's really worked out that way. So you are, you're, you're not location independent in that your job has you in the UK, but you are almost like a hybrid. You're saying, but I don't have to be here 12 months a year because I don't have a 12 month you know, I'm not with this company maybe for 12 months, maybe it's nine months. And then you take one or two off and come back and find another gig. So you're, you're like 
Yeah, you're you're working it out quasi, in your own way. Yeah, quasi. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, it's kind of location independent. Uh, but these jobs typically require you to be in the office, so it's not like you can work. Say, oh, you know, I've got this gig for a year, but I can go and work in Italy for two weeks remotely. It's more. Yeah, it's this weird hybrid where you're kind of an employee, but kind of not. Um, and what I like about location independence, at least if you are a, a business owner, is just working from anywhere. So, yeah, I really want to do more of like owning my own business and then just working from anywhere and having it be like that. How have you seen your travel style change? Because you, you obviously have done quite a bit of traveling now and have that freedom that if you were back in New York, I, I'm sure you probably wouldn't have. Maybe you would have worked your way up to a whole four weeks of vacation, right? Which you couldn't even really take because there's too much work anyway. Um, what, what does it look like for you as far as how long do you like to go places? Do you take a lot of quick trips around Europe? Do you like to go longer and spend, you know, kind of dive into a certain area? I think I like the extremes. So if I'm not doing a city break for like three or four days, then I like to do like one to three months and just really like um, kind of slow travel, but also kind of just like live in a place. And so uh, there's been several stints where I'll go to Rome for like two months, three months at a time. So I really like, yeah, just going and becoming a local and just really absorbing the culture that way. And also, I, I love um, the really popular places, you know, places attract tourists for a reason, right? And so I keep going back to Rome because I'm so in love with it. But I would say that my travel now is um, half places that I really love and then half places that are new and a lot more off the beaten path. And so I just finished up a trip to Albania with some friends of mine Um I'm in love with Bosnia. I've gone there the last two years. I plan on going again this summer. I know you and Heather went there recently. And so, yeah, I guess I'm I'm enjoying exploring places that are not the hotspots. Yeah. What are some of the places that you love? You mentioned Rome being one of them. Are there a few others that you that you go back to and, and just think, well, I'm always... I'm always going to go back to these places, even as I add other places that I love, like these just ha hold a place in my heart that you know, I'm going to get to every year or every two years. A lot of those places are in Italy. Okay. <laughs> so uh, definitely Rome, Reggio Emilia. I still have friends there. I do consider it a second home. And so I go there like at least once a year, usually. Um, one of the great things about being an expat is you just make friends from around the world, especially if you live in a city like London. And so one of my good friends, um, you know, we actually met first met in New York, but then we were both expats together in London. She's German. And so she, now she's living in Berlin. And so I go and visit her quite a bit. So and Berlin's such a cool city. Like, um, I don't think I would live there, but I love visiting there. And so I go there. Yeah, at least once a year. What are some of the ways that you like to save money while traveling? Save money while traveling? Well, um, I guess when it comes to housing and accommodation, uh, before I even travel, I would say I save money by just renting rooms, like doing flat sharing instead of just like getting my own place. And so that really just helps save money in advance. And, and then, so you mean that you're doing that in the UK, like when you're working, yeah, you're yeah. getting, you're sharing a flat and having roommates as opposed to just having your own spot. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So that that's worked out for me. So doing that and then I guess, you know, I'm not I'm definitely an experiences, not a things kind of person. I'm sure like most of your listeners as well. And so I don't feel like I spend a ton of money, you know, Um I love going to like the local restaurants and like they do not have to be Michelin. I don't even know if I've ever even been to a Michelin star restaurant, but I love finding the local places. And, you know, that's a big reason why I started my podcast, Postcard Academy, is because I wanted to talk to local 
people and particularly local expats because I love that insider outsider uh, perspective on things. So I chat to them and get their best food and cultural recommendations uh, for different cities like around the world. So cities that I think my audience would be interested in and then cities that I plan on going to. And then I've of got like, this ready <laughs> this ready made itinerary. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Selfishly, it's like, hey, I want to talk to someone. I want to go here in a year. Okay. Let me find an expat who lives here. Let me get their advice. And then you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that I'm like super budget minded. I just don't tend to like buy a lot of stuff. I just go and, you know, with the mind to the experiences that I want to have, which, you know, a lot of the great ones are free. You've come to London and that's actually a very expensive city, <laughs> but the museums are free. You know, there are different activities going on that don't cost a ton of money. Yeah. And strolling around neighborhoods and, you know, eating, like going to a cafe. And I think of that uh, when I always think of Paris, like, you know, we and I've had a few people on the podcast try to convince me that Paris is better than I think, and and I, I'm <laughs> sure it is. But I, there is something to be said for this idea, especially when you're somewhere like London or Paris that is very expensive to, to eat out, right? And and that's one of the things that is going to crush someone's budget. But you can have a, a better experience, even or or at least a comparable experience. By saying, oh, I'm going to go to this bakery, grab a thing of bread, grab some cheese, grab wine that's $2 at the grocery store and go sit at a park and look at the Eiffel Tower. And now you spent $10 for two people and instead of spending 30 for one person, right? And so there are definitely ways to to do it even if even if you don't care about your budget, but you're having an experience that that is going to give you a different experience from just saying, oh, I'm going to eat at a restaurant. Yeah. And I mean, you just mentioned like breakfast. That's another great thing. Like if you don't want to spend a ton of money on food, go for breakfast. That's like the cheapest meal that you can get. Uh, I like experiencing local restaurants, uh, but you don't have to do that every night. And in fact, um, when I was in Albania with my friends, we our Airbnb was right next to this fantastic uh, market where there was all these fresh vegetables and the morning we left, we walked through this market and we're like, oh, why didn't we come here and buy vegetables and like cook last night? Um, we were sort of kicking ourselves because Albania is like known for having such fresh fruit and vegetables. So I think and plus, if you're doing a lot of traveling, sometimes you just need a break from eating out. I definitely like I love to eat out, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, I cannot I cannot sit through another meal with all of like this cheese and stuff. So I think a good way to save money and just have fun with your friends or your partner, whoever you're traveling with is, yeah, go to the local market and then just cook when you are in your Airbnb. And I definitely prefer staying in an apartment to a, a hotel. Yeah, I, I would agree with both of those sentiments. An apartment over a hotel, usually, you know, obviously I'll stay at a hotel certain times and they, they're great for, you know, maybe one or two night stays if you're like, I just want to get in, see a place, not have to worry about anything else, you know, and know what I'm getting. But but I'm with you that there have been plenty of times. And again, I love eating out. I love food. But when I'm eating out, I'm never I'm always like, oh, I, I really want a salad. So we're going to go eat out. But then you look at the menu, like, <laughs> I'm not getting a salad. Like, look at all this great stuff I can have. But sometimes they're just sitting there craving a, a home-cooked meal because you yeah. just know it's going to be healthy because you're making it and, and you don't have kind of, you know, the dessert menu pulling you in like, oh, well, I'm only here once, right? I got to get this. Right, right. So I, I'm with you. Sometimes it, that's all it takes is just one meal to say, all right, I'm, re I'm, I'm refreshing my body a little bit here, even yeah. if it is... A false assumption because then I go out and, and eat five more meals out and drink beer. But at least you feel okay about yourself. Yeah, a little refresh, as you yeah. say. <laughs> what has been one of your biggest travel mishaps? You've done a lot of traveling. You've lived abroad now. You've been an expat for nine years over in the UK. So you've had a ton of experiences. What is something that sticks out in your mind is like, uh, this is a story that gets told or I'm going to tell for the rest of my life because... Either something happened to you or you made a mistake and all of a sudden you're sitting there thinking, uh-oh, like I, I've got myself into it a little bit. Hmm. Well, I have like a very little one that happened recently, but then I have a major one that happened. Cool. Let's hear about Let's hear the little recent one and the major one. <laughs> okay. So the little one is, you know, I think think that it's good to travel with people who have like similar travel styles. And so I 
generally travel with people like that, including on my last trip. For most of the time, we're all on the same page. But I have a friend who, for whatever reason, is like hugely anti-taxi or She's more frugal, I guess. She doesn't want to spend money on frivolous things. And for the most part, I'm like, okay, I can go along with this. But we had to catch, this was when we were in Albania, and we had to catch like a really early morning bus or furgon, like these tiny little vans. And she wanted to walk there. So we had to get up super early. But I'm thinking like, we're going to be so sweaty by the time we get to this little minivan. But she convinced me. She was like, I'll drag your carry on. Like, it's going to be fine. We don't need a taxi. And this is Albania. Like, it would have cost us like, I don't know, five pounds. <laughs> and I'm like, fine, we'll walk. And we get to the Fregon and we are so sweaty and it's we're riding for hours, you know? I'm like, why didn't I fight harder for this getting a taxi? Like, I should have fought harder. So I think sometimes you just need to have keep comfort in mind. And it's like, you know what? Splurge a little bit. It wouldn't even have been a splurge for us. But I think when you've got a long ride, do what you can to make yourself comfortable for it. I have certainly changed my travel style in that way. Like looking ahead and saying, all right, we have a really tough travel day. I'm not going to pinch, uh, pinch pennies on getting this day started. Like let me spend a little bit because I know it's going to be crazy anyway. And, and now with the kid, it's, you know, I, I've certainly not pinching pennies as much because I know, listen, it's going to be tough even if we do everything the, the best possible way. So let's not make it any harder on ourselves. But I, I've been that person who's like, we're not getting a taxi. <laughs> and we were in like Malaysia and it would have been, yeah, 10 bucks and it was pouring rain and we had to walk like two miles and Heather will never let me live this down. I'm like, no, he's ripping us off. He won't use the meter. It should be five bucks. And she's just like, so we're going to walk two miles in the rain, pouring rain over $5. And, and we did. Now we got and we got in a huge fight and that lasted like three hours after that. So like I probably should have spent the five bucks. But all right, so that's just the mini mishap. What's the what's the big yeah. mishap? Oh gosh. So when my sister and I were very young, we were in Thailand together and we were meeting all of these people who were like, oh yeah, we're gonna go to Nepal or we just went to Thailand. And so we were thinking oh, well, we should go somewhere else while we're all the way over here. I think I wanted to go to Singapore, but my sister really wanted to see the Great Wall of China. So I was like, okay, fine, we can go there. Um, but this required us going to a Thai travel agency and having them help get us visas. And so they needed our passports for this. So we give our passports to them and then they're like, all right, well, we'll see you you know, in a few days or whenever this is ready. So my sister and I, this was in Bangkok, my sister and I go up to Chiang Mai, have a blast, have like the time of our lives. And when we come back, the travel agent was supposed to meet us at the train station with our passports. And our train pulls into the station in Bangkok and the police come on and they pull every single white girl off of the train. I don't think there were t a ton of us, but um then they're asking for our passports. And my sister and I didn't have one. And there was one other girl who didn't have one. And her boyfriend was with her. And for some reason, they said to him, well, you don't have to stay. And he was like, I'm not leaving my girlfriend. And so they take us off the train. They're tearing through all of our suitcases, going through everything, opening anything, you know, anything that might be wrapped, just tearing through our clothes, everything. And um, I said, well, can I go to the travel agent and bring him back here? And he said, well, you can go, but your sister has to stay behind. And I said, okay. And I did not have, I still do not have a good sense of direction, but I ran as fast as I could. And I immediately like found the travel agent. Like My, my mind was just like there. And so, and I'm not a very loud person either. I'm pretty soft-spoken. But I opened that door and I'm like, one of you is coming with me. The, like, the police have my sister. And so one of them comes with me and we get to the station. He talks to the guys 
And uh, then the tribal agent looks at me and he's like, yeah, you have to go with these guys. And I was like, what? Well, what happens if we just run? And they had machine guns, like the cops had guns. And to the travel agents, like, uh, don't run. <laughs> you need to go with these guys. And this wasn't our travel agent. He was just like one of the other guys who was working there. So just like, the get cop- me out of this situation. <laughs> Yeah, Poor yeah, guy so, was just like the first person when you walked into the office, right? He was kind of sleazy. My sister looked like she was 12. And when we had been in the office like a week or so prior, he was like kind of hitting on her. Okay. So anyway, don't feel too bad. Yeah, for you him, didn't Travis. feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> no. Uh, okay. So the cops took us away in this truck and it was the most surreal experience of my life. It was like a really nice truck too. It was air conditioned. And I was like, first of all, this is not what I expected. Uh, <laughs> A truck like this to me because I had seen Broke Down Palace and all of these movies that had come out uh, before then about these girls getting, you know, arrested in Thailand and never seeing the light of day again. And so and my sister hadn't seen these, thank God. And so they took us to this open air jail and we're sitting outside and some guy came off the street and asked me what we were doing there. And I just stared straight ahead. And when he left, I told my sister, like, don't say anything to anyone. So we're at a Thai jail and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Um, and then our travel agent showed up. He looked completely glassy eyed. He was squeaking this Pokemon keychain like it's I will will never forget this day because I thought I was going to disappear forever so it's just like seared in my mind and then he was like it's not a big deal they probably just think you're Russian prostitutes and I was like Chris what is happening like get us out of the situation so then we had to go to um, immigration and they carted us around from like room to room I'm seeing all of these people in handcuffs And then finally, they just let us go. And it wasn't until years later that I was like, oh, did Chris just like give them a bribe or something? Like, how did we get out of this? And uh, so anyway, that was the greatest mishap. (laughs) Um, Always keep your passport on you. Yeah. So do you still you still don't know why they let you go? Like, did you ever contact Chris, the travel agent? and Be like, hey, man, what what went on here? This was so long ago. I would have no idea how to get in touch with him yeah. uh we did we did complain to like the american embassy and they're like well this is their country you have to follow their rules i was really surprised they were so harsh and i was like what how can they just i, I have first of all i had no idea that you always had to have your passport on you just yeah i had yeah. no idea about that did, did you actually get did you then go to china and go to see the great wall we did but okay. um yeah, I think my sister was so traumatized at that point that and also <laughs> that trip was a Thai trip. So everybody on the trip was Thai. So like nothing <laughs> was in English. And uh, I'm a vegetarian and it was just such a confusing time. I think I just ate like white rice and it was just it, it was a downward spiral from there. Like we got back to Thailand and we were supposed to go to the beaches after that. And my sister was like, I have to get out of here. Like every time we saw the police, she, we both felt weird. We were both like, oh my God, are they coming after us? We had a bit of like PTSD, I guess. <laughs> so um, yeah, Have having said all of this, I would still go back to Thailand today. I haven't been back, but. I really loved the people there. <laughs> nice. Like, yeah, it, so. it's a great country. I, I'm sorry you had such an experience. It's good to know that you would go back, even though you haven't. And that is quite a mishap, and and also quite a mystery, right? As to what, why they had took you in, what they wanted, what what could have happened, what why did what happen happen, right? And yeah, yeah, you'll never have the answers to that, I guess. Okay. Well, I'm glad that I made it out. And, That's right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I would say, though, having these experiences and also like living abroad as an expat slash immigrant has made me so empathetic to different struggles that I hear about, you know, um, around the world. And I say that as a like I completely recognize my position of privilege. You know, I'm like a white woman who grew up in America. Uh, I know if anything went goes horribly wrong, I could like go back to my parents. However, I've, 
you know, I know what it's like to live in a country and not speak the language or move to another country and try to find a job and have like no support system where you are. And so, uh, but I think it's made me a stronger person and a happier person going through all of these things. Yeah, I think that is totally true. And I felt the exact same way after we, uh, when we moved to Japan and then after we, you know, had our two years experience there and left, it it certainly wasn't the hardest obstacle anyone's ever faced. I'll never claim that. But it was an obstacle for us and something brand new that we had to overcome. And it gave us a much needed perspective on some of the stuff that that other people do have to go to, especially, you know, in this day and age with people trying, you know, to get out of certain countries. Obviously, we didn't have to leave the U.S. We chose to voluntarily. But, um, yeah, it at least gives you a little glimpse of what it is like for some people and, and allows you to have a little more empathy and I think a little more understanding. So I just want to say thank you for joining me today and for showing us this unique way to get citizenship and throwing out a bunch of other ways that that I'm sure there's people out there who are going to dive into, hey, this Estonia e-visa, what can this do? Or maybe there's people who are going to be hanging out um, in your former town getting getting Italian citizenship, you know? So thank you so much for that and for also kind of diving into what life as an expat really is like and kind of the, the struggles, as you mentioned, and being away from friends and family. But is it worth it? For now, yes. Later in the future, it's just a decision that you have to make. So thank you really um, for that and, and for being so honest with that. Remind people one more time, how can they come get a hold of you, Sarah? How can they find out what you're doing? How can they listen to the podcast? All that good stuff. Sure. Well, my travel podcast is called Postcard Academy. And the website is postcardacademy.co. And then I have enjoyed podcasting so much that I now have a podcast to teach people about podcasting. So that's called Podcasting Step by Step. And uh, you can find out more about that at sarahmichatel.com. Awesome. Yeah. Very meta. A podcast about starting <laughs> know, a podcast. But but it's something that I certainly wish that I had. And even when I was going and creating this new podcast and trying to figure out how to get it to all the directories, it had been so long ago that I did this with EPOP. I mean, we're talking, what, six, seven years ago. I was like, man, I just need some basic informational podcasting. So if you guys are interested in podcasting, check that out. Sarah, thank you again. Really, really appreciate you coming on and chatting. Thank you. We will link everything up in the show notes, everything Sarah just talked about, guys, everything we talked about throughout this whole show. You can find that extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today and for your continued support. Until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris in the morning.